content warning for this episode, there will be some brief mentions of suicide. Welcome to Haunted Spouse, a haunted house podcast. I'm your ghost host, Laura Casey, and this is my haunted spouse, Ben. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the classic attraction, Haunted Mansion at Disney. I think we're mostly going to be focusing on Disneyland, but we'll also talk about Disney World as well. Yeah, we could really get out in the weeds with this one because of the sheer number of haunted house stories that have been told throughout various haunted mansion incarnations. But in this case, we're talking mostly about the OG haunted mansion attraction, maybe a little bit about the Disney World one. We'll see. For me, there's only one haunted mansion attraction because I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and we went to Disneyland. Well, you say there's only one Haunted Mansion attraction, but that one Haunted Mansion attraction is like three different Haunted Mansion attractions all in one. But we'll get into that. Okay, okay. Originally opening in 1969, the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disneyland goes back quite a ways before then. Uh, In fact, it even predates the existence of Wed Enterprises, also known as the Imagineers, by a year. So what are the Imagineers? Uh, The Imagineers are Disney's engineering team, um, separate from the animation studio, uh, though a lot of times animators will kind of cross over. The Imagineers design the rides. They are the magicians, so to speak, behind the Disney magic. Okay, we're talking about... The physical attractions versus the animators are more the movies. That is correct. Okay. Yes. Disney, in his hubris, I guess, created... Oh, I thought you were going to go with infinite wisdom. In his infinite wisdom, (laughs) uh, created a separate company called Wed Enterprises, which is literally just his initials, because apparently having a company of his last name wasn't enough. <laughs> um, there's some other things about, like, animator strikes and things like that, but that's for another podcast. So yeah, predates even the existence of Wed Enterprises, also known as the Imagineers. Um, and also, in that same regard, predates Disneyland. Um, originally, there was Mickey Mouse Park, Uh, which was planned to be next to the animation studio. And so as early as 1951, there were talks of including a haunted house attraction in Mickey Mouse Park. Now, as we all know, eventually that idea became Disneyland in Anaheim. As the park itself grew, so too did the ideas of what this haunted house could be. Initially, they brought on Ken Anderson, who was originally a part of the animation studio, became an Imagineer, and 
designed several of their other dark rides. So a quick little sidebar on what exactly a dark ride is, because most of us have been on one probably without ever knowing that that's what it is. So if you've ever ridden something like Peter Pan, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White, Snow White, Pinocchio, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, (laughs) you've been on... Oh, because they're dark, right? (laughs) Sort of, yeah. I mean, they don't have to be dark. Oh. Um, Because, like, technically, It's a Small World is a dark ride, too, I believe. I meant dark as in your inside. Oh. Versus uh, outside? Probably, I didn't look up enough into the history of the naming uh, to figure out if that's exactly why it's dark. That might be. Okay. So rather than like the theme is dark more. Although to be fair, Snow White, which was one of the first rides, I believe, was Snow White's spooky adventure. So that had a dark twist to it, even though we think of it as being a princess story. And then Pinocchio obviously is very dark (laughs) theming. Um, If you haven't looked into it as an adult, go check that out. It's pretty creepy. (laughs) Not a haunted house, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Dark rides, they don't necessarily have to be dark. A lot of the earliest ones are, and probably some of our most prominent examples of them tend to be dark, both in lighting and in the fact that they're inside, uh, in part so that you can basically watch a story as you ride through it. So that's what defines it versus a more traditional roller coaster as we think of it? Yeah, so that sets it apart from like a roller coaster or th- like a walkthrough attraction or things like that, is mm-hmm. that you are riding through this indoor set, basically. Okay, yeah. Um, cool. And so, obviously, historically, it was a pretty static thing. You sat in a car that just moved through this show. Maybe there's a little bit of things moving and things like that. Um, and so that's partly why I like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion are kind of revolutionary dark rides because they upped the game from what dark rides used to be. Which, not that some of those early dark rides are bad, like we've talked about the Peter Pan. Some of them are. (laughs) (laughs) But like the Peter Pan ride, for instance, like even without having a whole lot of dynamic stuff going on, like that scene where you're flying over the city, flying through the stars, like is all very impressive it's magical yeah and so for haunted mansion to come in and kind of one up all that came before it is pretty impressive Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that is what a dark ride was and that is also something ken anderson had done prior to being brought on to this haunted house project was he had done some of these dark rides previously at disney at disney uh don't ask me which ones i don't know (laughs) bet he was involved in some of the ones we've mentioned. I, I imagine he was in some of those. Um, I would have to go back and check. But um, yeah, so also I'm realizing a walkthrough might be able to be a dark ride, but I don't know. So It's not a ride, though. It's a walkthrough. Yeah, but also not all dark rides are dark. So I, I could see somebody saying right. not all dark rides have to be ridden. I feel like it's an indoor-outdoor thing. Yeah. Well, but... And then, of course, there's Alice in Wonderland, which has some outside and some inside. Yeah. But I don't know if at that point they... Well, I'm kind of feeling like if you're not riding, it's not a ride, though. Yeah. If I have to, if I have to walk, that is not a ride. 
I mean, this might also be one of those things where there's, among amusement park fanatics, there's probably a flame war about what constitutes a dark ride. (laughs) Probably. Anyway, that's a dark ride. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Ken Anderson brought on in 1957. In 1958, Walt framed it as a sort of retirement home for ghosts. Um, I love that. That's so fun. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea. Uh, He uh, talked about it as he was traveling in... I forget if it was the UK or just Europe in general, uh, and talked about welcoming the ghosts and spirits from all the old castles to come and stay and have kind of an, an active retirement <laughs> uh, at this house that he was going to be building. Uh, and so the story went through several iterations, but it's important to keep this one in mind because this one probably best explains the story we ultimately get out of the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, because I think what sets the Haunted Mansion ride experience apart from what you traditionally think of a haunted house attraction is partially the tone, which I think we're going to, I'm sure we're going to talk about later, but also it doesn't feel like you're alone in this house and maybe there's spirits, maybe there's not in this case, it's, like, crowded. It's chock full of spirits. Isn't it something like 999 happy haunts? And always room for one more, always looking for one more, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. That kind of creates this atmosphere that's a little bit more uh, consistent, I think, with the park atmosphere, where it's not totally terror or anything. It's more uh, kind of quirky and funny and... I think with Haunting of Hill House, when we do that discussion and kind of look back at Gothic literature, a big piece of that is the theme of being alone. Removing that aspect from the Haunted Mansion attraction both makes it more approachable and family-friendly, but also maybe takes a little bit of the uh, depth out of it. But then again, I'm not sure if that's precisely the depth we're looking for with this type of attraction yeah. experience. So. Well, and I just read that's something that they tried to introduce into the Mystic Manor version, where the uh, Doom Buggies, which we'll cover later, actually can separate uh, oh. because they aren't on a track uh, and do kind of get what you were talking about. They're, the idea was that they could isolate you Ooh. in ways that the traditional Omnimover can't. I love that. Yeah. That is so cool. Uh, Ken Anderson actually visited the Winchester house uh, as part of his research. Um, And he was pretty heavily inspired by the Winchester house, although the exterior design was ultimately inspired by the Shipley Lidecker house in Baltimore. The Winchester house was also inspiration for Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House. So that's really exciting to hear about. It's all one big jumble of inspirations (laughs) in here. Um, Oh, let's talk about what the Winchester house is. That is a house that actually does exist. It's a real house in California. I don't remember where in California. But the story goes that the woman who owned the house was the widow of Winchester, who created the Winchester rifle. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, over time, started to become paranoid 
believing that she was being haunted by the spirits of anybody who was killed by the firearm that made her and her family wealthy. And so she started building this house and then couldn't stop adding on to it, adding rooms, adding elevators, which were a new invention at the time, adding secret doors and stairways and things that didn't lead anywhere and rooms that weren't connected to things um, to try to confuse the spirits so they wouldn't be able to find her. And so this big grand house was under construction for, I believe, decades because that was how she mentally coped with these fears and this maybe feeling of moral guilt for being involved. It was constantly being worked on and the work on it continued um, until her death. And now it's a house with a great story that you can even go visit yourself. A great story and a movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. There's a movie I think from the two thousands, maybe that was made about it. We watched it recently. We'll cover it later. <laughs> <laughs> so even if not in appearance, um, in terms of just general vibe and story, early ideas for this haunted house came from the, the Winchester house. Although notably, Walt stated that he did not want the outside of the house to look run down. Which I feel like it can kind of tend to go either way with haunted houses. You might get the ones that are run down inside that kind of show what might be going on. Other times you have the ones where the whole thing is that you don't expect it. It's this nice, clean house, but the inside is haunted by these dark forces. Walt's specific words were, We'll take care of the outside. Let the ghosts take care of the inside. <laughs> and so that explains why they all have a very nice at least in the Disneyland version, antebellum style, and then you only start to see the run-down nature or the, the, the ghostly cobwebs and everything once you get inside. Story-wise... Ooh! Yes. Spoiler alert! For anyone who has not been on the Haunted Mansion ride, go ride that now, and then yes. come back and listen to our episode. <laughs> <laughs> The first time I went to Disneyland, and the only time I went as a child, I was seven years old, and we went to went on the Disneyland tour. The tour guide looked at me and he said, can you handle a ghost story? And I was like, yeah! <laughs> and this is a, a kid who, at the age of 10, would get nightmares from watching Ghostbusters, so probably not the most accurate answer. So he said he would tell us the original story, and I remember hearing it, and my mind was blown. And I also think that might have been the beginning of my interest in haunted houses. I'm not sure. Ooh. Yeah. Origin story. Uh-huh. Um, but it definitely creeped me out. At one point, at the very beginning, he said that they used to tell the story at the beginning of the ride to give you the context. But they stopped doing it pretty quickly because people got too scared. I liked knowing that story when I went on the ride again. It was really, really cool. And I think this remains my favorite version of the Haunted Mansion story. That's cool. Because, yeah, there are definitely... Some of the iterations the story went through were 
less good than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting to see how all the various concepts all came together into the final haunted mansion that we know and love. Yeah. Ken Anderson's stories for the house went through several iterations early on. There was first this legend of Captain Gore, a sea captain whose wife Priscilla discovers in a chest in their home evidence that he was actually the pirate captain Black Bart. He kills her, bricks her up in the cellar, a little bit of Edgar Allan Poe crossover there, In some other versions, he locked her in a sea chest in a well. Uh, In yet other versions, he threw her in a well, and there was potentially a version where you could hear her speaking up from the well, which would have been super cool. Priscilla then haunts him until he commits suicide, which also plays into some of uh, what we later see in the ride, for instance, in the stretching room, when it's revealed that the ghost host is hanging up above you. That's in reference to this original story of Captain Gore hanging himself after being haunted by Priscilla. I think in the version that I learned, or at some point I picked up, that there might have been a version where he pushes her out the window of the attic, because you can kind of see that tower. Plus, the tower is another haunted house trope there's often a high tower that people fall off of hang themselves off of etc and so the part when you're going into the graveyard from the attic when you turn around backward that was supposed to be you as priscilla falling out the window land splatting in the yeah (laughs) on the driveway yeah and um, I don't know if I'm getting all of these versions confused or not, but... There have been a lot of them. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe there was one also where she falls or throws herself out the window and he comes home and finds her there. I'm uh, not sure. So I'll just do the ones that are different enough to be interesting. Um, because another one of the potential storylines was Bloodmere Manor. The idea being that Disney moved a haunted house to New Orleans Square, and repair and construction would keep failing because every night the ghosts would undo the work that they were trying to do. And part of the story even went so far as claiming that a construction worker was walled up inside. So there's that Edgar Allan Poe again. (laughs) Then there was a lighthearted one uh, where residents of the home were assembling for a wedding. Um, All the source that I read said that the bride is seen to, quote, lose her head. I'm assuming it means literally, since this is the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) Then, in ones that I'm glad didn't happen, they wanted to try and make a crossover with the Headless Horseman and Ichabod Mm. Crane movie, where the Headless Horseman was going to show up uh, in a scene similar to what we see in the final Graveyard Jamboree. His arrival would start a wedding party between Monsieur Bogeyman and Mademoiselle Vampire, and would feature such guests as Dracula, Frankenstein, and Caesar's ghost. Oh. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go with that one. It would have been weird. Also, the Headless Horseman, I feel like, did not stick around as, like, a beloved Disney classic. I I don't know even the last time I've seen it. I'm a little hung up on Frankenstein, Dracula, 
and Caesar's ghost. Uh-huh. <laughs> Usually the third you would hear then would be like a werewolf or something. Yeah. That's really funny. I don't know where they got that. I don't know. I think the book said like Great Caesar's Ghost or something. Huh. So I don't know if there's like some character from something who was like Caesar's ghost that maybe I'm not aware of. In the Shakespeare play Julius Caesar, does he come back as a ghost at some point? I have no idea. I've never read it or seen it. If I'm just guessing, speculating, um, hmm. I wonder if during the spiritualist movement in the Victorian era, when they were doing seances, hmm. if frequently they would speak to old, oh. famous, historical um, figures, if that was one that came up a lot. That could be. Going a little quicker now, because we're past as far as pen-on-paper story writing goes, Ken Anderson was pretty much it. Uh, From then on, we've got some other faces come in. Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump were brought in and started introducing a lot of magicians' tricks and, like, stage tricks to create a lot of the... Visual effects? Yes, a lot of the visual effects that we see today in... The, the Haunted Mansion. When the World's Fair happened, a lot of Disney resources were pulled into that, including Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump. After that, a team of three, Mark Davis, Claude Coates, and Ex Atencio, were brought in. They went back to the Ken Anderson storyline and started pulling elements from that to start creating a, a new ride from it. And this is where we start to see a little bit of what I think intersects with the story of the Haunted Mansion being its own haunted house story, in a sense. Walt Disney died before this ride was released. And with that, the final say in decision-making was gone. Now you had these different camps uh, of these creators who one wanted this to be a funny family friendly ride another felt that this is a haunted house it should be scary and then raleigh crump just kind of wanted it to be weird (laughs) (laughs) but the the main divide was between should it be funny or should it be scary ultimately they landed on what we know today as both (laughs) um Exatencio brought the stories together, giving us this three-act play, essentially. So in the first act is where you get the poltergeists, the so-called happy haunts, and various unseen spirits. For those of you who may not have been on the ride or may not remember as well, uh, once you get into the buggy, you go down some hallways and you see some really cool illusions that we'll kind of get into later. The corridor of doors is in that section where you have the wallpaper with eyes that light up, doors that are opening and closing on their own. The endless hallway. The endless hallway. Um, and then just little decor pieces like the clock that goes yeah. to 13 and goes backward and everything. Yeah, the clock. I think the that room with the, the raven and the casket i think is also in that section i don't know what that's supposed to be i think it's a conservatory like in the game clue Mm -hmm. but i'm not sure (laughs) certainly has that look yeah it's got a bunch of plants and a casket and a raven 
as one has in one's home. Exactly. And so that culminates in the Madame Leota scene, where she is performing a conjuring of the spirits, which leads us into the second act, where we have like the Grand Hall with all the dancing Pepper's Ghosts illusions. We'll get more into that when we do a, a more the deeper dive later on. Um, and up into the attic with the bride character and, as of 2015, the Hatbox Ghost, who has his own story. <laughs> and then finally, everybody's, uh, I don't know about favorite, but like everybody loves the Graveyard Jamboree. Act three, we're past the spooky. Now we're just in this, what? <laughs> Unpopular opinion. My favorite part is Act 2. Okay, bye. <laughs> Actually, I think I do kind of like Act 2 better. I could honestly, like, take her leave Act 3. Really? Oh, I think it's fun. <laughs> it's not my favorite part of the ride, but I enjoy it. I think the problem is that I'm solidly in the storytelling slash spooky camp, mm -hmm. and I could just completely do without the silly camp. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Act 3 is... Full on in the vision of the funny, family-friendly ride. And that's the Graveyard Jamboree. Uh, you get probably the most upbeat version of the theme song of the ride. Grim Grinning Ghosts with a quintet singing it. And just a whole graveyard full of ghosts just having fun. And of course the hitchhiking ghosts at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so won't get too much into that yet, because I think we're going to kind of do a little more in-depth walk-through or ride-through, <laughs> so to speak. Ultimately, as anyone who's ridden it is aware, really that original Ken Anderson story became more of an inspiration for mm -hmm. what we ended up getting. And really what we see is more of Walt's original idea of this retirement home for ghosts these 999 happy haunts who are all haunting the house in their own way. This story is kind of like a haunted house in and of itself and that it is haunted by these ideas of its would-be creators. Um, over time, it's seen all these different iterations in the same way that in some haunted house stories you have this patriarch who just kept building on the house and couldn't settle on one thing or a matriarch in the case of the winchester house this always growing thing and it gets passed on to other people who then have their own experience with it while also experiencing what came before and it just changes and so ultimately what we see is a house that is haunted by, like, six different people's vision of what this haunted house was supposed to be. It's almost like it's a living thing with a mind of its own that evolves and grows. Exactly. And I think now is the time for a break, and when we get back, we'll dive in and welcome you to Haunted Mansion. All right, so now we're going to do a walkthrough or a float through, if you will, of the ride. 
Before we do that, though, a quick aside on something that's not necessarily a haunted house thing, but something that interests me personally, and that is the Omnimover system. In this case, they're called the Doom Buggies. This system has been used in other rides. Oh, I think some of the newer rides, like there's like a Buzz Lightyear one. I think there's like a Little Mermaid one. Basically, this is, I alluded to earlier, kind of what sets this apart from your normal dark ride. Essentially, the Omnimovers are a, as long as all is going well, perpetually moving train of cars moving along a rail. Um, And this solved the issue of throughput that Disneyland was seeing, because by 1969, they were seeing huge turnout. So they needed a ride that they called a people eater that could just take people in, move them through, and just keep on chugging. This ride design originally came about as part of a ride called, and this might be the spookiest part, Monsanto's Journey Through Inner Space. Part of the idea was you got in these buggies and then they shrunk down. Uh, There was actually a little part at the beginning of the ride where you get in the buggy and they go into this machine equipment thing and you see tiny scale models coming out the other end so it looked like they were actually shrinking you down um but the whole idea of this is that you can get that dark ride experience that simulates a little bit of a walkthrough where you can see things around you but more importantly the imagineers can point you at exactly where they want you. So if they're wanting to create a scene, and especially in the case of the Haunted Mansion, where a lot of the effects depend upon you seeing them from the correct angles and you looking in the correct direction to see these effects, the Omnimovers make sure that you are always facing the direction that they want you to be facing. Um, And it does so in a really cool way by traveling along track that has extra rails and those extra rails connect to your buggy and will actually turn your buggy as you go along so because it's all mechanical you don't have electrical or communication failures like you might have if they tried to do this for the tower of terror they They did something like this where they tried to use, it was either remote operated or in some way electronically controlled vehicles, and they kind of saw some issues. So in this case, it's all mechanical. I mean, obviously mechanical stuff eventually has to be replaced, but you don't have the kinds of failures you might see with attempting to control it electronically. I don't know. I just think it's a really, a really neat system. Um, I mean, obviously anyone who's ever ridden in a Doom buggy recognizes how iconic it is. I feel like you sit kind of far back in the buggy too. The walls of the buggy kind of wrap around and I wonder if that's again to create almost like the blinders effect so that you're just looking where they want you to look so that you get the proper um, experience of the illusion. That would be my guess. Yeah, that that's probably why that wraps around like that. Um, They can focus you in exactly on what they want you to see and then yeah, and then it frees them up to if they need stuff sitting elsewhere, like behind the buggy or something. You would never know. You'll never yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So that's so cool. But yeah, it's it's a cool system. It's cool that it theoretically never stops. Um, <laughs> as anyone who's read ridden it 
more than a couple times probably knows it doesn't always run perfectly. Uh, sometimes they have to stop it for a while, but uh, from what I understand, it handles massive numbers of guests. Everything else works because they have this system in place. And there is a slightly updated version in Mystic Manor, the Haunted Mansion at Hong Kong. This one is electronic, but the track is in the floor, so like it's still following a track. They're not just completely remote controlled, I don't think. And as I alluded to earlier, part of what this allows them to do is actually separate the buggies. So they can go in different directions, they can circle around a single point, and all the buggies can view one scene in the middle of them and things like that. Um, and from what I was also reading, also allows them to do a lot more with a smaller space. Because when you're not traveling on a track, you can do things in less area. That one's really interesting. Uh, definitely not the topic of this one, especially because it's much more lighthearted. Uh, it has a totally different plot and feel yeah. to it. It is super cool, though. Yes. We were watching ride-throughs on YouTube, <laughs> um, so if you're interested, go check those out. They're Highly really recommend cool. <laughs> watching the ride-through. They do such a neat job. Like, if you ever wondered what Haunted Mansion could look like if they took some of the original ideas but had modern technology to do them with that's kind of what we see in mystic manor mm -hmm. and it's a really cool blending of effects so yeah let's uh begin going through the ride so when you enter the mansion you pass through the foyer and into the stretching room which is a really impressively disguised elevator whenever i ride in it i always kind of forget that i'm technically on an elevator going down yeah i didn't know i was on an elevator until i read it in this book that we used for research it's actually lowering you down i think like 18 feet so you can get to the actual ride building so this is the room where the floor lowers away from the ceiling so it looks like the walls are stretching out and the ceiling is getting further and further away, which technically it is. Um, and the portraits also stretch so that you it reveals a more sinister, darker side of what seemed like regular, non-spooky portraits at first. You hear a little bit of a monologue, the lights go out, thunder crashes, and when the lightning strikes, you can see above you that someone has been hanged from the very top of the room. Ooh. <laughs> which I believe is supposed to be our host, right? The ghost host. Yes, which is not to be confused with the actual owner of the house, I believe, that that's commonly misconstrued. I think so. I'm not sure, yeah, where the ghost host fits into the final canonical exactly. story. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I've heard that that is possibly a reference to Captain Gore's hanging. Uh, in this scene, we get one of our first theater tricks that they introduce because the ceiling, uh, and we can talk about like the stretching here in a sec, but since we just talked about the lightning strike, the ceiling of the room is actually a scrim, which is, from my understanding, a sheet that appears solid when lit from the front but becomes transparent when lit from behind. 
So it's kind of neat that obviously turning off the lights in the room adds to the spookiness, but it's also quintessential to the effect that they turn off the lights in the room so that they can backlight the second floor with the lightning so that you can see the 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 hanging host. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. So so that's cool. Um and of course like the stretching room is such a neat idea that the ceiling is staying in place while the rest of the room descends and the portraits unfurl into the walls. And we also see a couple things that I think are themes. One of the things the host says as the room begins to move is is it stretching or is it your imagination? Ooh. And I'm sure this is going to come up a lot in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of how much is actually happening and how much is just in your own mind. Also, the idea, uh, as the ghost host points out, this room has no windows and no doors. Somewhat reminiscent to House on Haunted Hill, this kind of no way out scenario. A little thing that I noticed that I just think is kind of fun in terms of park history and variations. The Haunted Mansion attraction in Disneyland and I think a couple other places is located in the French Quarter of the park. However, at Disneyland Paris, that didn't make as much sense to have a French Quarter. (laughs) And so they have it located in... uh, Frontierland, right? Frontierland, thank you. Yeah, I always think of like the... Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. The Disneyland Paris version of the ride also is quite a departure from the original Haunted Mansion concept. There's a lot that's similar, but also a lot that's different, which is really cool to look into as well, including at the end in the graveyard, it's a whole ghost town. Literally. Yeah, like an old west frontier land town full of ghosts, which is quite different aesthetically from what we see in the, tr- the uh, original version. The reason I wanted to mention this is I believe one of the stretching portraits stretches and you see that the guy is on top of a bunch of TNT that's about to explode. <laughs> and I wonder if that might be a reference to mining and an Old West town. Yeah, I, th- I think that's cool how they managed to just adapt that to something else and even set it in technically the same setting as Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Mm -hmm. which is very cool. Yeah. So upon exiting the stretching room elevator, you've got a brief corridor uh, where you walk past some more portraits. Uh, These use a similar effect to the ceiling of the stretching room where you walk past and then whenever like lightning is happening it backlights the photos and they change to something else like i think there's like a cat woman and there's is there a medusa i think so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. it's a woman who looks sweet and then lightning strikes and her hair turns into snakes (gasps) and then there are some busts they're designed such that they appear to be turning to follow you as you walk past and then you hop on the doom buggies the doom buggies very first thing after you board the doom buggies you go past the infinite hallway uh, which is a neat trick i forget the exact details of how they do it but basically you look down this hallway and it just appears to go on forever um 
its mirrors <laughs> from what I understand is they're doing some fancy mirror tricks to make it look like the hallway just keeps going all the way back I don't know if this is a stretch <laughs> or not but to me that always kind of reminded me of the hill house house <laughs> um, that long stretching hallway bedroom doors on either side I think that's spooky anyway when you have to walk down a hallway in the dark in the middle of the night that isn't very well lit. Mm. I think that was a motif in The Haunting of Hill House, this long hallway and sense of foreboding that went along with it. Or there might be monsters behind these doors. We don't Mm. know. Well, and then too, I mean, you even just think about like nightmares of like a never ending passageway or things like that where like you're being followed or you're Mm -hmm. trying to get somewhere but you can't get out because it just keeps going Mm -hmm. yeah in a way it's weirdly claustrophobic too yeah yeah there is something to that like it's weird to think that something infinite could be claustrophobic but there is something to that about like if it has no end you kind of feel trapped right And a hallway is this weird in-between place, which I guess you could even draw a metaphor to being in-between worlds, or (laughs) ghosts are stuck in-between the worldly life and the afterlife, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, so next to the hallway, there's an animatronic suit of armor. They used to have an actor in that suit of armor, but he kept getting punched. (laughs) (laughs) So they replaced that character with just an animatronic suit. After the infinite hallway, it takes you past a conservatory with a raven and a casket. Some animatronic arms pushing the the door open. Not particularly spooky, I don't think, but it's kind of a neat little scene. And following that is, I love this name, the Corridor of Doors. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly noteworthy for the eye wallpaper, where there's these big glowing eyes that light up. And some various doors with the handles turning and opening and closing. Uh, So, again, very Haunting of Hill House with the doorknobs that will turn and then turn back. I think House on Haunted Hill maybe also had a little bit of that as well. Mm -hmm. And the eyes in the wallpaper kind of relates to maybe there there are actually eyes in the house or that feeling Mm. of being watched Mm. even though you're alone or you think you're alone Ooh, i wonder too back in the day when people had wallpaper i remember being able to kind of see make out faces in the patterns and things like that and so i wonder if that wallpaper is leaning into that idea of like, oh no, these are definitely faces. I love that. I had not thought of that. That's so intriguing. Because, yeah, a lot, well, and a lot of real life horror stories and haunted house stories come about from this fact of people thinking they see faces in things Mm -hmm. because our brains are primed to do that. So after that, we reach the transition between Act 1 and Act 2. Uh, where you kind of swoop around... Oh, the clock. 
I have nothing to say about the clock. Do you have anything to okay. say about the clock? Not really. I mean, it's just a neat clock. It goes to 13 and it spins. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the hands just kind of spin. They spin backward, too. Oh, they spin backward. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Counterclockwise. Ooh. So you might say that's a counterclock. <laughs> Cut this. <laughs> uh, so then we're brought into the room with Madame Leota, uh, where she is performing a seance. Originally, her ball that her head is in had to remain stationary. There is a model of a fairly featureless face inside of there, and then they project a recording onto it. They use this several times throughout the ride um, to make it appear that she is talking and that she is a head inside of this glowing orb. Once the technology got there, now her head floats around the room as she performs a seance and conjures up the spirits that we're going to see. Um, And they have, like, some other little tricks in there, like when she asks the ghosts to ring a bell, a bell rings, and things like that. The main part of this scene is that it's supposed to set apart the early portion of the ride to the later portions where we actually start seeing more ghosts Mm -hmm. because she's conjured them and i don't i feel like there's references on the actual grounds to madame leota having some role in some form of story but Mm -hmm. i don't know if if there's any formal story around her because like she has a gravestone on on the site i believe yeah yeah you know i don't recall her popping up in any of the various backstories but she must have come from somewhere, so I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, it could just be that they just pulled her from just general lore. Because, I mean, again, Haunting of Hill House, we see when uh, the doctor's wife shows up and she sort of tries to perform a seance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also in the 1800s, it was considered in vogue mm-hmm. to have these seances and to speak to the dead, um, Ouija boards, that kind of thing, so... That all kind of fits with the time period we're looking at, I think. Yeah, that all does seem to kind of fit together here. So, the piano with the shadow sitting at it. I was thinking that was in the first part, but I don't have notes on it. There's a music room that you pass through around the, the same time that you're... It either comes before or after the conservatory, but there is a music room. Okay. And then in the... Nightmare Before Christmas version, which we promised we weren't going to mention, <laughs> but here I am. Uh, I believe Sally's sitting at the piano. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, one other, uh, kind of a neat little trick, they have a piano playing itself, but in this case, I think it's kind of neat, instead of having some kind of ghostly figure at the piano, all you can see is their shadow on the floor, so that in the shadow of the piano... There's someone sitting there playing it, but when you actually look at the piano, you don't see anybody. I feel like this effect was much more impressive before you could go to Fry's Electronics and see the piano playing itself (laughs) at any given time. Yeah. Although, I mean, they would have had player pianos for a long time before this, too. So after the seance, we are taken to a very iconic scene for the haunted mansion and that is the ballroom or the grand hall this makes heavy 
usage of a theater and stage magician trick called Pepper's Ghost. So as you ride past the ballroom, you see these ghostly figures throughout it. Some of them are dancing on the floor, some are sitting at the dining table, there's some flying around the chandelier. My favorites, there's two characters that have portraits and they're holding up dueling pistols and you see them turn and take aim at each other. What you're really looking at here is a floor-to-ceiling pane of glass. As you ride through, you're on the second story, and if you're able to see what's directly underneath of you, you would see these animated figures down behind you. And so the way this Pepper's Ghost effect works is you see a reflection of these animatronics. They're all positioned at the correct distance from the glass as the thing that they're supposed to be, like, sitting in or standing next to, such that when you see their reflection, and obviously it's not a mirror, so it's a very ghostly, translucent reflection, and by positioning them at the correct distances from the glass, they appear to be in those positions in the room. And it's just such a cool effect uh it's a really old trick but it gets me every time <laughs> like i love seeing it that scene is iconic i keep saying that but this really is you know one of the top things i picture when i picture haunted mansion yeah so that leads you up into the attic <laughs> speaking of iconic elements of the Haunted Mansion, we see a bride popping up in almost every version, except the one in Hong Kong. Correct. I don't think there's a bride in that one. Which would be pretty shoehorned in if they did. Yeah. Anyway, so the original story and what they originally had at the Disneyland attraction was this attic where you would see this very frightening bride with a beating heart that glowed red. Next to her, or nearby, you would see the hatbox ghost. <laughs> and you were to infer that she had beheaded the hatbox ghost, who was a suitor or her betrothed. Now, this effect didn't end up working exactly, and so they removed the hatbox ghost but left the bride, which was creepy enough. And she's been through a couple of transformations as well, moving from the murderer to later being seen as either the victim who is murdered or her betrothed is murdered, etc., etc. The bride-never-to-be concept comes up a lot in haunted house lore. I'm always thinking of Mrs. Havisham from Great Expectations, who I believe is sitting around in her wedding gown through her old age and is kind of stuck in the past. If I'm remembering correctly, do you remember? <laughs> I've never read okay. Great Expectations. I'll probably check on that. But we see this coming up a lot. Marital bliss has no place in a haunted house story. <laughs> a lot of the time what you're seeing are families with a lot of discord or young women who do not get married for one reason or another. 
Hmm. I think that speaks a lot to the themes of repression, which comes up a lot, or family secrets. Mm. Or themes of spousiness. I, I don't know. Yeah. If one were looking for themes of spousiness, <laughs> they might see that here. Well, it is kind of interesting to note that oftentimes the horror part is the not being married. <laughs> yeah. Which maybe definitely. says something about the people who often tell these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, Haunting of Hill House, the featured character who endures a lot of the haunting is an unmarried woman. And I think that might even be a theme consistent with the quote-unquote final girl that we see in horror movies as well. Mm. Because usually she is unmarried or inexperienced, an ingenue-type character. And even House on Haunted Hill, Nora, Mm. also an unmarried young woman. I think there could be a lot to unpack there, especially knowing that the Victorian culture was definitely known for (laughs) repression. Mm. So maybe that's a piece as well. Yeah, that's an interesting note. Yeah. So we're not done yet with the different iterations. Um, Probably what everyone now is most familiar with is we have the Black Widow Bride. This was kind of a new character that was dreamed up sometime in the 2000s. So with this bride, we're back to she's probably the homicidal one. As we go through the attic, we see several different vignettes laid out that show wedding gifts and a bridal portrait of her and her groom. And it is the same woman every time with each vignette, the gifts and the dress and everything becomes more and more ornate. She gains a string of pearls with every successive husband. The thought being that the husbands mysteriously disappeared within a year or two of marriage, and she mysteriously becomes wealthier and wealthier as time goes on. (laughs) Hence, the Black Widow Bride. Now, also in this version, they went from originally just having a dark, kind of hidden face to using, kind of like with Madame Leota, like a projection face mm-hmm. where she can actually speak and, like, talks to you. And it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Yes, very creepy. I'd also like to mention the possibly most cohesive plot, which is the one that comes up in Phantom Manor in Paris. Hmm. This tells the story of Melanie Ravenswood, I think her name is. The long and short of it is she is the daughter of a wealthy man who lives in this mining town. And she is really looking forward to getting married. Her father does not like the person that she is planning to get married to. Instead, he wants her to stay at the manor forever. He arranges for the death of her betrothed right before her wedding. And so throughout the entire attraction, even from the very beginning in the foyer, you see the bride character popping up and she is the tragic heroine of the story rather than the murderer Mm. it's supposed to kind of be a constant struggle between her and her father who is the titular phantom and in the attic scene you see her sitting at her boudoir and 
in the mirror, instead of her face, you see a skeleton. <laughs> and then the hanged man at the beginning, and your host, is actually her betrothed. Mm, definitely a much more cohesive story than the one <laughs> we get in the in the more traditional haunted mansion. Yes. Needless to say, I would love to visit that Disneyland and see that attraction. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I think that one sounds really neat. I love the theming. And the idea of the, a story that carries all the way through the ride mm-hmm. is really cool. Because you also see the Phantom character mm-hmm. periodically haunting her. Also in the attic, and he was alluded to before, as of 2015, the Hatbox Ghost is back. He was present for maybe a few days when the ride first opened. Enough for there to be like some really low quality home video footage of the ride with him in it. For those of you not familiar, the hatbox ghost has no head, but is carrying a hatbox. And inside the hatbox, his head appears. Yeah, so the, the original idea was similarly with the projector type stuff, you would see his face his face would disappear and then you would see it up here in the hat box. Unfortunately, at the time, they didn't really have the technology to make it work from all the angles that you could see from the doom buggy. And so he just disappeared for 40 some years (laughs) until the Imagineers kind of rediscovered some of the original design concepts and using more modern technology, we're able to recreate him. Uh, And now when you go past, you'll see him kind of looking around, and then his head will just drop out of under his hat and appear in his hat box. And now we make our way into the final stretch of the ride, the Graveyard Jamboree. This is where we have completely left any grimness or horror elements behind us. Uh, we are fully into uh, ghost fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's just ghosts having a good time in a graveyard, uh, singing the Grim Grinning Ghosts song. Um I I can't really think of aside from the what are they like the phantom phantom faces or whatever the the busts at the end nothing in particular really jumps out at me I mean we see some various different types of ghosts some various scenes I'm sure there's a lot to unpack going on in there but it's so much at once that no individual thing really stands out to me I'm um, nodding emphatically <laughs> because like I said I could take or leave this part <laughs> yeah it's no it is it is really fun to see and you can definitely see how i think they're having a lot of fun showing off their effects and their cute little ideas and their puns and stuff and and that is really cool yeah it's it's neat it's no individual part of it stands out like the rest of the ride does with the exception of maybe the busts at the end where you have a quintet with uh faces again, projected onto these busts, and they are singing the Grim Grinning Ghosts song. And something kind of spooky I thought of is that at least some of 
the people whose faces and voices are being used for that are now dead. So there are, in a way, actual ghosts of these people in the Haunted Mansion ride. Ooh, I like and that. And it's kind of cool to think. And I'm going to be thinking about that next time I ride on it when I yeah. see those faces, realizing that, like, this is their energy, their essence left behind in They're this mansion. They're singing to us from beyond the grave. Exactly. I love that. So it's kind of an interesting side effect of having this thing that was created in 1969 well i mean created even longer than then and continuing on into this day as a lot of the things that were originally put in the people responsible for them are either pretty old now or have passed away and so it's kind of haunting in a yeah. way yeah yeah and i think as much as i joke about the end being kind of cheesy at the same time i mean that's part of the charm of it is that and the the charm of Disneyland in general is that they really have worked to preserve the rides as much as possible. Let me back up and say they have really worked to preserve certain rides as much as possible. <laughs> I know people have mixed feelings about some of the updates that they've done. However, I think a big part of what we all love about the Haunted Mansion is that it feels like this little time capsule and... I'm really impressed by the way that those illusions still do hold up. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really speaks to the timelessness of those. And also just thinking about the fact that, like, for instance, the Pepper's Ghost illusion, knowing that, like, we are still in 2021 being impressed by this illusion that has been amazing audiences since... I'm not sure when it was originally <laughs> created, but I know it at least the 1800s, probably before then, I would imagine. It's kind of neat to have that sense of connection going back that far, knowing that people recording really grainy home video footage in 1969 were looking at a very similar ride to what people are recording in 4K <laughs> in 2021. It's neat. It's macabre. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Um, and it's goofy, too. It, it does, I think without the jamboree part at the end, it doesn't quite fit in as well with the general um, feel that you have at Disney. Yeah. So I do think that that is essential to kind of tie it back into the theme park and, and what you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we would be remiss not to mention what is actually probably the most iconic part, which is the hitchhiking ghosts, mm -hmm. because they are on the promo material. They are everywhere. Um, well, they came home with us. Exactly. They come home with you after you leave the ride. It's, yeah, you can't shake them. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see, what is it, animatronics first, I think, of the three hitchhiking ghosts. Mm-hmm. In the graveyard? Yes, yeah. at the very end of the graveyard, I think. Um, and the ghost host has some comment about them coming home with you. And you pass through one final stretch with some mirrors, depending on which version of the ride you're on. Originally, they had some kind of projection thing going on where they could make it look like there was a ghost sitting. I don't remember if it was projection or if it's like a Pepper's Ghost situation, but... Either way, they could make it look like a ghost riding in your doom buggy with you. 
the newer versions use a digital display you have like an animated little ghost riding with you in your buggy <laughs> in the newer versions and that takes you back around to the loading and unloading station um yeah we at this point we've reached the end of the ride i don't think there's much flavor on your way back out is there I feel like it's just I a think pretty it normal spits hallway. You out pretty quickly because I do not remember. Yeah, I'm like I'm completely blanking. I can't think of anything. And you're back out into the French Quarter to go get some beignets or something. <laughs> I know. I can just like smell the churros. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll discuss our ratings and reveal the topic for next episode. Okay, so for our first rating, on a scale from one to five, one being eh, five being ooh, how spooky is the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disney? Hmm. For overall spookiness, ultimately, I'm probably going to give it like a two. Even the part of it that is the scary spooky parts at the end of the day it's still disney they're not out to scare you in the way that a haunted house or like a a haunted walkthrough type thing is trying to do i think so it's certainly spooky and some of the ideas that they had over the years were very spooky but in terms of actually riding through it now in 2021 i would say yeah two I'm going to give it a four because it really did spook me. On my first visit to Disney when I was seven and I'd heard the story, it mm. moved it from a two and a half to three to a four for me. I okay. was pretty spooked by it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not seven anymore, but also this is a family attraction. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So. And for me, it might just be too that I don't really remember my first ride through of it i was pretty young when i went to disney world so my ride through that i remember didn't happen until i was an adult so i would imagine that would have different impacts and i never heard the story i bet if i'd heard some of the story behind it it might have been a little spookier for me <laughs> so on a scale of one to five where one is our house and five is a house that is haunted. <laughs> How haunted is it? <laughs> okay, well, first off, you're assuming that our house is not haunted, which it could be. True. And I don't want to tempt fate like that, but <laughs> if you want to put that into the universe, that's on you. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. On this one as well, because hmm. it is definitely full of haunted house tropes and references, but I'm docking points for the lack of consistent narrative <laughs> and for the jamboree. <laughs> Fair. And I'm also going to give it a four, partly because I kind of stand by my idea of the whole thing being haunted by its history and by its creators and by 
those involved in the original ride and about, in a way, it actually being haunted. Now, how spousy is Haunted Mansion? Five. That bride killed so many spouses. <laughs> it's got to be a five. Every, like, so many iterations of the story involved weddings, involved spouses, Phantom Manor involves uh, uh, would-be spouses. So it is a five on spouses because they are all about weddings and spouses and things happening to them. Yeah, I have to agree. Mystic Manor aside, you really don't have Haunted Mansion as we know it without some reference to a bride or a wedding or vows that never happened or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I really don't feel like it can be divorced from that theme. <laughs> You're welcome. Good night. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think that about does it for our episode on the Haunted Mansion attraction at Disney. Thank you so much for giving this a listen. And if you have stories about Haunted Mansion, or if you know of any other Haunted Mansion lore, we'd love to hear it. You can shoot us an email at hauntedspousepod at gmail.com, or say hi on social media. We are at Haunted Spouses, plural, on all the things. A lot of our information for this episode came from the book The Haunted Mansion, Imagineering a Disney Classic, by Jason Sorrell. I picked it up at Disney when I was there last, and it's been a great read and a great coffee table book. So, what are we delving into next? We will be talking about the one, the only, well, actually, I guess there's several, but the original Haunting of Hill House. The book by the Shirley book. Jackson. We've already read it and mm -hmm. seen several adaptations. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go ahead and give it a quick little reread. So I'm pretty excited because this was, this is what got me down the original rabbit hole. I wanted to know, is this where it all started? Because this was the oldest entity that I had seen that seemed to have all those pieces. Um, and yeah. so this is where it all starts. So I'm really excited to delve in. Everyone have a spooky week. And remember, I got 999 honks, and you could be one. <laughs> <laughs>